You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Well, hello, Long Island. I hope everybody's having a great evening on this nasty weather-related weekend, of course. And we have a big snowstorm supposedly coming Tuesday. How wonderful. I am your host, Josh Silberg, filling in for Aaron Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey, here on the Weekend Crunch on 103.9 FM. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Hope everyone is surviving all these storms. We torrential rain on Tuesday and all the snow coming in, but hope everyone is staying safe, not enjoying the cold, trying to embrace the cold, doing well, and also want to give a shout out to my brother Aiden, who had his 21st birthday on Tuesday. Happy birthday. Thank you. And we have a lot to get to know Errol this week, which means the show's going to be even better. Psych, I'm just kidding. No. Yep, he's in Toronto. Go he's co- in Toronto. He's trying to find a way to boot John Tavares in Toronto now. Well, he got to do it the other night when the Islanders won. That must have been a lot of fun, but we have a lot to get to. We're going to get to some baseball stuff with Marcus Stroman, going to the Yankees, basketball with the Knicks, and and the Nets, OG and Anobi, although they got their first loss the other day. Why the trade is still good for the Knicks. The Nets are losing on another continent. But of course, we begin with football with Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick. Adam Schefter said it would be a bloodbath. Boy, he was not kidding. It was like the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. That's what it felt like for the head coaches in this league. Yep, and Wink Martindale cursing at Brian Dable. We're going to talk about Brian Dable and Wink Martindale. It was one of the most wacky, weird divorces you could imagine. Brian Dable fired two of Wink's assistants. Wink wasn't happy. Wink walked out of the building, went to his home in Florida. He never said he was resigning because you want to get your money. They had a mutual agreement to part ways. Now, what does that mean? If Wink goes to another place... The rule states that he has to have the same capacity job and he gets the same pay rate. But what this tells me is this about Wink Martindale and Brian Dable. You're disappointed if you're a Giants fan because you can make the case that the biggest, best part of the Giants this year was their defense. It struggled early in the year, but it wound up doing really well later on. And they figured it out and Wink figured it out. Now, unfortunately, the Giants have to find a defensive coordinator. And of course, everybody's doing out Antonio Pierce's name. They've interviewed a Jets safety coach. So you're trying to now replace one of the best minds in the NFL in Wink Martindale. We thought after last season, boy, we're going to thrive into the next season. Daniel Jones is back. Saquon's back. The defense can't regress. Jaden Hyatt got him. He's a speedster. They needed that. Go along. Sterling Shepard's going to stay healthy. They got Darren Waller. There's a reason why the Raiders gave him up for a bag of bones. Did not work out. But now the Giants need to figure out how to replace an innovative mind in a Wink Martindale. Now, I think with Baltimore, it kind of ended amicably with him and Harbaugh. This one is did not. When he's cursing out Brian Dable, and a lot of these players didn't even know about that. Might have been a good thing, but for Wink, a guy that is very creative, good with his blitz packages, for a team in the Giants that does not have a lot of edge rushing depth, and that's the main thing that I think Wink did a good job with this year when it came to managing this defense, and it's odd because the Giants defense last year, they didn't have a lot in the middle of the field, so they struggled against the run. They struggled against tight ends, and they did better with that this year. They had very good safety play. They had good middle linebacker play, bringing out Karaki. Micah McFadden did a very nice job. The problem 
problem is they just didn't have a lot of their key positions. That's why they struggled at the beginning of the season. They were also on the field a ton because the offense barely did anything against good teams. They started to play well in the second half of that Miami game. They played well against the Bills. They almost won that game. Gotten that pass interference. Maybe they could have won that game. But their defense kept them in it for a lot of that season. But still, the relationship still was not there with two A-grade personality coaches. And it's a weird trajectory that the Giants are in. The pattern has been recently to bring in offensive-type coaches with a veteran-type defensive coordinator. You saw the Rams do that with Sean McVay and Wade Phillips. You saw Chicago try to do that with Matt Nagy and Vic Fangio. Now the Giants tried to do it with Wink Martindale, and it just didn't work. So where do they go from here? Hopefully Antonio Pierce becomes available. I don't know how realistic that'll be. It looks like for once, the Raiders are actually going to do something smart and keep a guy that's been good with the players. Patrick Graham is on that same coaching staff, who did well with the Giants as a defensive coordinator in 2020, but not ideal for a team that's drafted so many guys for Wink's system. Now they have to try to make it work with somebody else. The question now becomes is with Dable, if another premium coach comes in here and works with him and it doesn't work out well, is it that coach again or is Brian Dable the problem? Going to have six pick in the draft. Which way do they want to go? Wide receiver, quarterback, get an offensive lineman and move Evan Neal inside. The Giants have a lot of holes. As for the New York Jets, there's always trouble because Aaron Rodgers and shut up. It's frustrating because you just want him to just shut up, stop with the nonsense and just play football. You don't have to go on the McAfee show. It's unnecessary. Now, again, he gets paid for it. If you're a paid guest, you're going to go on in regards to what the New York Jets need to do this offseason. They need offensive line help, wide receiver, linebacker, maybe a safety. They have things they got to figure out. It's a mess right now. They're keeping solid. They're keeping Douglas. They're keeping the whole coaching staff. Luke Getze. He's going to join the Jets staff. Good luck. I don't know why Keith Carter is still the offensive line coach when basically everybody has insulted Keith Carter. The Titans offensive lineman insulted him. Mekhi Becton insulted him. Everybody basically mocked him about the way he is as a person and as a coach, and yet they're going to keep him. Jets have some work to do. The comments, you still want to keep the Jets out of the limelight. I know Woody Johnson loves it. They want to steal the tabloids from the Giants. And so this these, way. It's the themes of these quote-unquote secondary-type teams. The Nets are going to steal headlines from the Knicks. The Mets are going to steal headlines from the Yankees. The Jets have just tried to do this for years. It's just unnecessary. You have a good team. You have a lot of these guys that made all pro teams on the defensive side, and you have a young running back. You have a young wide receiver who's now bashing Nathaniel Hackett. Like, it's not something that has to stay in the public, and as far as Aaron Rodgers, I guess this is the price you pay that you knew you were going to get trying to trade for him, but still, you don't need to make it so dramatic. Bill Belichick, he is out as New England Patriots head coach after 24 years, six Super Bowl rings, nine AFC Championship games, multiple honors, second all-time on the wins list, which he's going to continue to want to coach. He's going to be the all-time winningest head coach in the sports history. The question is, where is Bill Belichick going to go? Well, we know the Patriots, they hired Gerard Mayo. That was set for a while. You wonder if the Patriots made the right decision with Mayo instead of just cutting the cord completely on the Belichick era and going outside hiring a young offensive coordinator because they need help on offense. But where is Bill Belichick going to end up? And I said it on Game On yesterday, which you can check out every single Friday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, you think he's going to go to... The Commanders. Now, I think the job that he's going to get is not there yet. If the Green Bay Packers go into Dallas and Jerry World and they beat the Cowboys, he's going to the Dallas Cowboys. He's got the hoodie ready to go. What coach is Jerry Jones close with? Bill Parcells. And where does Bill Belichick, who is he close with? Yeah, Bill Parcells. And therein lies where everything needs to be done because the Dallas Cowboys have a good offense. He would probably just bring in McDaniels to coach the offense. He's a good coordinator. Because even with Mac Jones, he did a good job with Mac Jones his rookie season. They went to the playoffs, and then once McDaniels left, it went downhill fast. 
Belichick didn't do any favors by hiring Joe Jones and Matt co-offensive coordinators. But I feel like if Belichick can get a hold of the this Cowboy defense and get a hold of Micah Parsons, because who did Bill Belichick coach when he was the defensive coordinator for the Giants? Lawrence Taylor. And who is everybody comparing Micah Parsons yeah. to? Everybody says, Bill's not going to get the power. It's the front office guy. I don't think Bill wants that. I think Bill just wants to coach. And I think it kind of showed because Bill lost his fastball with the front office stuff. I don't think Bill's lost his fastball with the coaching. I think Bill Belichick could still coach. And the whole story that came out about with Mac Jones, he wanted Mac Jones traded, and Kraft said no, or Brian can fix him. And basically it was a, here's this to you, Kraft. I'm going to show this to you, and this is why he can't play anymore. Or if Philly loses to Tampa, there's a real possibility that could happen too. I think he's going to the NFC East. And if either Dallas or Philly or both lose this weekend, I think Belichick's going to have his choice. Either does he want to go to Dallas or does he want to go to Philly. And I think he would choose Dallas. It's the better team. I think it's got the better players on it. You definitely have the better defense. But you also have the best defensive player, one of the best in the league. I think it goes TJ Watt is one, Miles Garrett is two, Michael Parsons is three, Nick Bosa is four. I would still give Aaron Donald five out of respect. You want to put Max Crosby on that list too? Well, if you're just judging edge rusters. But then you also have to throw in probably Fred Warner. You also Fred throw Warner, in yeah. Sauce. But I do think he's going to end up in Dallas or Philly. As far as Pete Carroll, I think Pete Carroll is an interesting one. I think he's either going to go Chargers, although I think Jim Harbaugh is going to take the Charger job because I think they're going to give him full control. I think he's going to be the GM too. I think he could end up in Atlanta. Weak division. He's a young 71. He's the new Tom Coughlin. I mean, so much still, energy at that age. <laughs> I mean, he still serves. Dan Quinn, I think he's going to go to Seattle. You also wonder, maybe does Carroll go to Washington? He gets the number two pick in the draft and he's got cap space. Mm-hmm. He's got talent on offense and he's a good defensive coach. This could be a crazy idea. What if both Philly and Dallas lose? Dallas hires Belichick. Philly calls and says, we want to hire Carroll. Would that be crazy? The Eagles are known for those types of crazy swings where they did that with Andy Reid firing him in a very odd time. And then Chip Kelly, oh, innovative offensive genius the first two years. The, the next year, nobody likes him and he gets fired midway through the season. The Doug Peterson era was a good one, but then it ended ugly. And that's on. another team too. I think if Jacksonville lets Peterson go, I really believe Carroll would be a great coach in Jacksonville. Oh my goodness. If you let Carroll get his hands on Trevor Lawrence, that's the guy I think Trevor Lawrence needs. He needs Pete Carroll in his ear, hyping him up, telling him what to do. Because I don't think Peterson is getting through to him. The team completely regressed this year. I thought they were going to be the first seed in the AFC. They should be in the playoffs with that division. The Texans should not have won the division. The Texans were five years ahead of schedule. Pete Carroll's interesting. It looks like Seattle still wants to hold on to him, potentially, as a front office advisor. Too, it's not happening. One. He still wants to coach. How much is another team going to sway him to take on that kind of offer? Because we've seen Bruce Arians, the impact he had in Tampa, going from a coach to a front office advisor and Tampa another team like we were talking about with the Texans that wasn't supposed to do anything this year still is a playoff team it'll be interesting to see if Seattle could blur that kind of thing because I think they have a good amount of talent on what that about team. Tampa too what if they lose Bowles does I don't think so I think, I think Bowles has done a nice job this year you have to give him some credit I wasn't crazy about him before that well, but I don't think anybody's crazy about it. you got to give him some credit what he did this year with this Buccaneers team that wasn't supposed to go anywhere but Pete Carroll is there going to be enough teams that are going to think that way with a coach that definitely has a good legacy with what he did on the defensive side of the ball but also you look at the shift of the league too a lot of these teams want these young guys. Obviously, some of them fail. Look at the Chargers with Brandon Staley, young defensive guy, and he did nothing for that defense. God made that defense worse. It happens, but still, that's the trend of the league, so it'll be interesting to see how much the openings of Pete Carroll's going to get. Bill Belichick, I definitely think, will get a job either way. The Commanders are interesting, though, because he has a Navy background, the Mid-Atlantic, that's where the Navy's located, and Josh Harris, coming in for Dan Snyder to own this team, thank God. He loves to spend money with his other teams. You saw the 76ers. Oh, they bring in Doc Rivers, then they bring in Nick Nurse. Sign these players to these big contracts, and then you'll get the Devils bringing in 
and be rough, too. I know a lot of Devils fans want him fired, but he's still a big-name coach, and he loves to spend money on his players. It wouldn't be surprising if they make the impact move on the Commanders. Will they get him? I don't know. It seems like they're hiring a lot of the younger guys. They just bring in a GM from the 49ers. I could also see Atlanta, too, if Phil Belichick doesn't want to be patient, but your scenario is not as crazy as it thinks, just because there's two teams that like to operate very unconventionally. Well, that's what it is. It comes down to with both of these teams, if they have duds in their games, Sirianni lost to his defensive coordinator at <laughs> home that end the season, the second to last game. And look at his offensive coordinator. He went to Indianapolis, almost made the playoffs with Gardner Minshew. You have to wonder, was it Sirianni or was it the coordinators? They got Kevin Byard from Tennessee. The defense was awful this year. And then they lose Hargrave, bring in Jaden Carr, who the only reason why they got him is because of the whole speeding thing. Okay, this year he wasn't anything to rave home about. When I look at how the entire team flowed for Philly this year, Jerry Jones is going to have an aneurysm. It's going to be ugly. And I don't want to hear Jerry tell me he's still our coach. You lost at home to Green Bay when you were undefeated this year. You're done. You can't make that up. You want to spark this organization? You want to get on something to cheer about? Go hire Bill Belichick. Go hire Pete Carroll. God, can you imagine what Carroll would do with Dak? Then again, it's Jerry Jones' logic because he's actually going to do the right thing. The fact that Jerry hired Parcells, he'll hire Belichick. And the fact because that he held thing. on to Jason Garrett for longer than he should have. But it's also the fact that think about the records that Bill's going to break with Dallas. He'll break the wins record as all-time head coach, and it's going to be on his plaque in the Hall of Fame. Dallas will be there. The name will be there. But think about if Bill Belichick won a Super Bowl with the Dallas Cowboys. Would you have thought that 10 years ago that Bill Belichick could be the head coach of the Cowboys winning Super Bowls? And if you're a Giants fan, I know you want them to lose. Maybe it would be the worst thing if they won this week. If they lose this week, he's going to get fired before the Philly-Tampa game. Because how are you going to explain that? We lost to the Packers. We stuck in. I lost to my former team at home. An undefeated home season. Won the NFC East. Won the toughest of and we lost. And it wasn't even Aaron Rodgers. It was Jordan Love. How do you even explain that? You can't. Oh, we're going to do our picks. A game that's about to kick off. And it's going to be very, very cold. The Miami Dolphins. 25 below zero. And the Kansas City Wind Chiefs. Show. Wind show. The over-under is 43 and a half. Chiefs are favored by four and a half. All right, so this is going to be our running game. Who has the better running game? It's interesting because I think Kansas City has the better offensive line. Pacheco has done well at certain spurts, but has gotten hurt this year. You also look at, is Andy Reid going to commit to the run game as much as he should with My Patrick Daniel Mahomes still is, a quarterback? Is as creative as possible. Andy Reid, we know he could be creative with using his receivers on reverses. What snow. receivers does he have? Not to catch the ball. I'm talking about to run. I'm not saying I can trust Canarius Tony and Sky Moore to catch the ball, but in terms of the running game itself, we've seen Andy Reid definitely Travis do Kelsey that kind can't of thing. even catch the ball lately. The Chiefs' defense is the best it's been in the Patrick Mahomes era. Steve Spagnuolo's done a very nice job with that pass rush. Miami's offensive line. Maybe the Giants should bring him back. That would be nice, but I don't think it's as realistic. <laughs> the Dolphins' offensive line dealing with some injuries as well, and that Dolphins' pass rush decimated. They just bring Bruce Irvin and Justin Houston. This is definitely going to be a lower scoring game. Definitely, I would smash the under. I am going to go with the Chiefs, though, just because they are the home team. The Dolphins still not as uh, familiar to the cold. I think the Chiefs will win. I think Miami could cover. It'll be a very close, low-scoring game, but I'm going to take the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm crazy with this one because I believe that Miami's rush offense with a Kane and Mostert is going to be able to do well in this. I think this could be like a 10-7 to kind of game. It takes one mistake, a little three-yard slant pass from Tua to Hill, and boom, Tyreek Hill's gone for 78 yards. And that could win the game. One mistake. Because who's got the most explosive player in this game? Dolphins do. And everybody's going to say, oh, well, Hill's never played in something like that. Well, Hill was in Kansas City for a couple years. I don't think cold weather takes away somebody's speed. I'm going to surprise the way I take the Miami Dolphins. I think that Raiders game a few weeks ago scared me with the Chiefs. That was concerning. That the Raiders defense was able to shut down that offense of Kansas City. 
I don't care how many injuries they have. I think the Dolphins squeak this one out. I say 10-7, 13-10. It's going to be that kind of game. I think Tyree Kill with like two minutes left in the game. It's going to be like a little slant five-yard dump off. Boom, gone. Bye. See you later. Game over. Dolphins win. I'm so cheapsed out. I hate Dolphins too. They're in my division. I'm a Jeff fan, but I'm so cheaped out with them, man. I'm so good. I got to see Taylor Swift and Brittany Mahomes besties. And I like Taylor Swift too, but she'll be at the game. Give me the Dolphins. I'm taking the under. All right. The Steelers and the Bills in a spot where it's normally cold. 18 Buffalo. to 28 inches of snow, they predict. 33 and a half the over under. The Bills favored by nine. This one, definitely like the Bills. I don't think the snow is going to phase a bigger Josh Allen as much. I think he'll be able to still throw the ball. He's used to it a lot more. And I think him running too definitely will be a big difference against the Steelers defense, which I think will get tired very quickly with that offense on the field. Yeah, the Steelers offense look good against the Bengals at the end of the season. That's it. They still have not found anything. And I cannot trust that against this Bills defense that is approved. I think this is a blowout. Give me the Bills. I'll take the over. I think they can get a defensive touchdown too. And I think they can definitely cover the spread. I'll take the under in this one because the snow is going to kill them, man. 18 to 28 inches in Buffalo. This is all Buffalo in this game. They got James Cook. Utilize him. I know Gabe Davis is out, but you saw Stefan Diggs. Josh Allen knows how to play in this kind of weather. He did it at Wyoming. Allen has to show it in the playoffs. Other than the one Chiefs game that he had where he went off and it was arguably one of the greatest playoff games in the history of football, he's had some struggles. You look at last year, they barely beat Skyro Thompson and the Dolphins. They just squeaked by them and then they really just got decimated by Cincinnati. But they're hot right now, right? We all left Buffalo for dead. We said they're not making the playoffs. They're done. They're out. Miami's going to win this. I think Buffalo should have dismantled Miami the other night. I think Josh Allen kept Miami in that game. Why? Because Josh Allen doesn't think when he throws the football. He has a lot of people say Brett Favre in him where he just chucks it and doesn't know where it's going. That's a problem. And in the playoffs, you can't do that. Now, no T.J. Watt. Racer Rudolph is there. Are the Steelers receivers actually going to give effort in this game? <laughs> Probably not because it's going to be a blowout early. I'm going to take the under. I'll take nine. They'll, they'll win by more than that. Hit the points. All right. The Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas favored by seven. Fifty and a half is the over-under. Lots of weaknesses that could be exposed both ways. This will be a big test for the Dallas secondary depth without Trayvon Diggs, Stephon Gilmore will be playing, but not at 100%. Green Bay's receivers, which we thought was going to be an issue for them this year, have been very good. They've had three youngsters playing well. They'll get Watson back. Aaron Jones, we'll see if he gets back to the form he was last season, but looking a little healthier the last two games of the year. On the Green Bay side, they still have had issues stopping the run, and they still have had issues tight ends. And Dallas, while Tony Pollard hasn't had the year rushing-wise, has still done very well as a scrimmage back perspective. And Jake Ferguson's had a nice year at tight end. So I am going to take Dallas. I think Jordan Love plays well passing volume-wise in his first game. I think he has an interception that might cost them. And Dak Prescott's had a phenomenal year against a defense that's still good, but not very well coached in Green Bay. So I am going to take Dallas in this game. I'll take him on the over. So I'm going to take Green Bay in this game. Alrighty. Surprising. Crazy. What are you thinking? Well, I love Green Bay's receivers. Romeo Dobbs. I love Christian Watson. Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed's probably the best one. Prof. Third round tight end. Aaron Jones. Three straight 100 yard games. When Aaron Jones gets 100 yards, did you know the Green Bay Packers are 25 and 1? Now, no A.J. Dillon, but the Packers have a pretty nice offensive line. It's the rushing defense. Here's the benefit for the Packers. They're facing Tony Pollard. doesn't really do that much. The Cowboys' offensive line is pretty mediocre. There's nothing to rave home about. They have a lot of injuries. There's a ton of issues on that defense. And also, will Micah Parsons show up for a full four quarters, or is he going to show up for a half, and then they just do a game adjustments? Mike McCarthy has to win this game. He cannot lose this game to his former team at home. I think it's a real possibility. I'm crazy for doing this. I'm going with Green Bay. I love it. I'm taking the point. Less than seven. It's going to be a tight game. I think they went on the field goal. Give me those overs. Jair Alexander, I know he's hurt right now. He'll be just fine. And if you blanket CeeDee Lamb, 
You're asking Brandon Cooks, Jacob Ferguson to really beat you. Sunday Night Football, the revenge game of two quarterbacks that were traded for Best each other. Best game of the week, probably. The L.A. Rams and the Detroit Lions. Lions favored by three. The over-under is 51 and a half. I love it for the Lions fans that they're finally getting to host a playoff game for the first time in their stadium history. I think this is the worst matchup they could have had of these wild card teams because the Rams, there's something they like to do a lot with Sean McVay. They love to utilize those slot concepts. They love to utilize three receiver concepts. And I was saying at the draft that the Lions made a mistake not drafting an outside corner because it's the biggest weakness of that defense. And this is a great threesome of wide receivers that they have. And I like Tyler Higby even too at tight end going against these linebackers that are better against the run. The Lions run defense is very good this year. I think they'll be able to contain Kyron Williams, but I like McVay in this offense to be utilizing against the wide receivers. I think St. Brown will get his. I like Jameer Gibbs to have a nice game, too. The Laporta injury, though, even though he's probably going to play, concerns me, because I thought that would have been a matchup they'd be able to expose a lot more. I think him not being 100% will hurt the Lions in this game. So, nice season for the Lions, but I really think, this, among the wildcard teams, this is the worst matchup they could have hoped for. I'm going to take the Rams in this one. I definitely like the over. Give me the Rams. And we're going to do the opposite. as you. I like the Lions in this game. Now, I know the Laporta injury stinks. I know the referee screwed them two weeks ago against Dallas, yeah. but and I love Dan Campbell. Very stubborn. Once that ball got to the seven-yard line, just take the extra point. Don't bother going for two and take the game into overtime. I know you said they should have taken an outside corner, but here's the reality. One of the reasons they're where they are this season is because of Jameer Gibbs. Him and Montgomery have been fantastic as a running back duo this year. Amas St. Brown. I think he's top five receiver in the league. You gotta give him his due. I know the Rams have some sexy players on there, right? Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup, Stafford's still there. That storyline of him going back. You have Aaron Donald. But here's the beauty. The Lions have the best offensive line in football that can neutralize Aaron Donald, I think. And if you can neutralize Aaron Donald, that's a huge coup for the Detroit Lions. Home advantage is going to be massive. Jared Goff's been in the playoffs before. He's done this. He knows what to do. He knows he has a ship on his shoulder because he got shipped out. And the first year, Stafford's there. He wins the Super Bowl. I like the Lions in this one. Give me the over and give me the points. I think it's going to be a field goal. I think they'll cover. Last game, Monday Night Football. The Eagles and the Buccaneers. Eagles are favored by three. It is 43 and a half, the over-under. I am going to go with the Buccaneers in this one. I'm taking the upset. There's two matchups I really like. Rashad White as a receiving back. Not as much as a runner because the Eagles' run defense has actually improved from where they were last year. But they actually have struggled in the last month of the season, though, too. But I also like it really a lot as a receiver. The Eagles have had issues with their linebackers and safeties all year. And he's been very good. I think he's the third most scrimmage yard among running backs this year. And Chris Godwin, the other matchup I like, too. They've had trouble trying to find that secondary depth from where it was last year, especially in the slot area. And I like Kate Otten, too, to have a nice game. I know Baker's banged up, but I do think he plays well. That Bucks offensive line, like the Rams, have held their own this year. And their defense, I think, will be able to contain Jalen Hurts. They have an outside rushing 3-4 defense that likes to blitz a lot with Todd Bowles. And their receivers are all banged up right now. I really don't know if the Eagles are going to get a lot of offense in this game. Give me Tampa in this game. I'm going to go with the over, but I am going to take them to take the upset. And the Eagles locker room nightmares will continue. The Eagles are a mess. I'm going to take Tampa in this one, too. DeAndre Swift's all over the place. Devontae Smith's hurt. A.J. Brown doesn't know what's up and down left and right anymore. Jalen Hurts, we don't even know what is going on. His MVP season last year, was it a fluke? Was it not? Their defense is a disaster. They got Kevin Byer at the deadline. It's made them worse. Tampa, you got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. That defense, Vita Vea, man, in the middle, healthy, good. I think the nightmare continues for the Philadelphia Eagles. What a disaster to end the season. This season, a 10-1 at one point. Super Bowl favorite, people were saying. Best team. And San Francisco went to Philly. 
and punched them in the mouth, and they have never been able to recover since then. You're losing at home to Arizona. They're losing to the Giants. Now they got Tampa this week. They're going to lose that game, I think. Sirianni's in a lot of trouble. Not of what he's done, but I think of how fast everything happened. And I think it's also the quality of opponents that he's lost to. If he was losing to, like, Dallas and Detroit and Baltimore or Sanford, that's one thing. When you're losing to Arizona and you're losing to the Giants and you're losing to the Bucks. They almost lost twice to the Commanders, that's too. That's what I'm saying. That's when it gets iffy at that point of, have you lost the team? And I think he's lost the team. Give me Tampa in this one. Give me the under, but also give me the points. I think they might win by 10 points in this All game. All right. I do. I think they're winning by two scores. I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. I couldn't be more happy to see a guy like Sirianni lose. What an unlikable person. All right, let's get into it. The news that came out. Nick Saban, no longer the head coach at the University of Alabama, six national championships. Goes off into the sunset. It happened on the same day as Pete Carroll. And then the next day, Belichick is gone. It was a crazy week. Alabama hired their new coach. Kalen DeBoer. At the University of Washington. Got them to the national championship game. I think there's a couple reasons why Saban left. Number one, I think it could be a health reason. 71 years old. Coach a lot. Won a championship at LSU. Michigan State head coach. Didn't work in the NFL with the Dolphins. But you also want to... Going back, if they sign Drew Brees instead of Dante Culpepper, there's a dynamic change for the Dolphins, if he gets that correct. I think it's also the way college football has become. You're going to have now a 12-team playoff. You have the transfer portal. It's a pay-to-play. The nil money. Guys are opting out, doing all this. If you're a freshman and you don't play your first year and you're a five-star recruit, you instantly go in the transfer portal and you're going to another school. The crazy thing now is for Alabama, they have to keep these recruits because the rule states that because Saban left and also the players on the current roster they have 60 days to either stay or transfer without it hurting their eligibility for next season mm-hmm. they could play right away Kalen DeBoer which by the way is not at all associated with Nick Saban at all I'm sure they were trying to go after Sarkeesian Mike Norvell and of course Norvell gets a huge contract extension for Florida State and this is what these guys can use now they can use this as leverage Lanning is staying these coaches who their names were rumored and go out there and you Utilize that and they could de- use and float it in their school's faces and say, Hey, look, they're calling me. What can you do? And Norvell used it to his advantage. He got a massive $10 million a year contract now from Florida State. I thought Brian Dable would be an interesting one as a former offensive coordinator at Alabama. I know he's the head coach of the Giants, but you would think maybe with this mess with Morindale and everything that happened this year, would he take the job? Because it's almost like the way the Giants are going, would you want to rather have your legacy with Alabama? Or do you think you're trying to build something with the Giants, but it's going to take a really a long time and will Merrill let him be around for it that's the difference the other thing is D'Amico Ryan's I go back to the Bill O'Brien part Bill O'Brien when he took over at Penn State for when Paterno passed away and everything I thought he should have stayed at Penn State I thought it was a mistake for him to go to the Houston Texans because O'Brien started turning around Penn State if O'Brien turned around Penn State after all that mess that was going on, that would have been a massive coup in his cap, bigger than being on the Houston Texans for a couple of years, which nobody remembers. He would have been so much more remembered for fixing Penn State and taking them out of the dungeon and the dreariness of the Jerry Sandusky stuff. I'm just surprised they went with DeBoer in this one because DeBoer has no relation to Nick Saban. He's a completely different guy. Now, DeBoer's got to figure out now. He's got to jump in right away. He's got to keep these recruits. He's got to keep these guys from not going in the transfer portal. And he's got to make his own waves of the transfer portal, too. That's exactly it. I think the team that's in trouble is Washington right now. Oh, yeah. They're going to the Big Ten. They're losing Penix. 
Aduze, and now they lost the head coach. It's going to take Washington a long time to recover from this. But now, DeBoer took the right approach. Everybody keeps saying, like, oh, you're so scared to take this job. Now, do I think the Alabama train is done? No, I don't. I think they'll continue to churn prospects and be a good team. It'll be different. Especially with how active DeBoer was with the transfer portal at Washington. So. Exactly. He killed it in the transfer yeah. portal at Washington, and I think he'll keep these kids. I do. Now, some of them will probably go. Most of them probably going to Georgia and go with Kirby. I remember Errol talked to me at one point now. If Saban goes, he thinks Kirby Smart was going to take over the Alabama job. I said, no. I said, just because Kirby is from Alabama, his alma mater is Georgia. I think Georgia's now the coziest job in the country now that Saban's gone from Alabama. Same thing we were talking about with Sarkeesian, too. I think he's just established enough of an identity there where I don't think he would Texas too. And then they, try you, to rebuild it. You yeah. heard Dabo, but I think there was a clause in Dabo's contract that the only college that I don't think Dabo was allowed to, I think, be for, I think, was Alabama. The problem is, Dabo's not with the Times anyway. He hates the transfer portal. He refuses to do it. He's like dead set against it. And if he's going to continue to be dead set against it, Clemson's not going to win anything for years to come. No. And definitely when you look at the identity of Clemson, the way they've regressed even with their five-star recruits they brought in too, it's just not an ideal circumstance if you're not going to coach these guys up the same way either. And good luck doing that in the SEC, which is a lot deeper now, bringing in all these new teams. You have even the SEC West improving this year too with LSU. Look at Ole Miss. They're going to be a top eight team. They're going to mm-hmm. be in the playoff. I liked Ole Miss in 2022. They were undefeated for two months. I think they had their first loss of the season to Georgia. And then they lost another game, so they didn't get in the playoff. But they were a growing program before that. And even this year, too, before losing to Alabama, they were a really strong top yeah, 10 and team. they destroyed Penn State in the Peach Bowl 38 to 25. Yep, which is a good Penn State team. That's so no slouch. They, they finished ninth in the country to begin the year. The recruiting class is very good, too. I was surprised based on Kiffin's pattern. He's loved to jump. He's loved to make all the flashy moves when you talk about Tennessee, when you talk about USC. Like, I would have thought if there was any saving connection that might have done it, it would have been him because Kirby Smart, he has a great program now at Georgia. He's not going anywhere. Sarkeesian with Texas, he hasn't won yet, but he established himself in a great progression this year where they have a very well-rounded team. Great recruits. They obviously have the NIL advantage being one of the richest schools. So I think Sarkeesian knows that he's building up what he needs to do. Now in the SEC, they'll get even more money. He could beat Alabama. He did that this year. They should have won last year too if viewers didn't get hurt. He knows that that kind of thing is realistic. And Dabo, I know it was flashy because of what his reputation, what he did, but these last three years have been really been an eyesore for Clemson. I know they finished ranked this year, but it's just not the move that it was going to make. Now, Kalen DeBoer is interesting now going into the SEC from the Pac-12. He'll have to make those kinds of adjustments too, but with a talented roster, he rebuilt a Washington team that was really bad when he first got there after Chris Peterson stepped down, and I think that's what Alabama's factoring into it, where they know they have to make an instant impact in the SEC with Georgia, with Texas, talented. LSU will still be good. You have Ole Miss still will be good. They're going to be enough of reputation. Yeah. I still like Tennessee, too. 24-7 has Ole Miss at 20th, but Rivals has Ole Miss at 16th. Or recruiting for 24. But then you look at the top, it's Georgia's 1, Texas is 2. Yep. Sarkeesian in effect. Alabama's 3. University of Miami's 4. Oklahoma's 7. Oregon's 6. Ohio State's 5. So the usual. Michigan's 13th. I'm guessing a lot of recruits probably think that Harbaugh's not going to be there. Tennessee, Penn State, Ole Miss, Nebraska, and then Wisconsin, Florida, USA. That's the competition you're going to face when you're dealing with these other programs now moving into better conferences. Even with the Big Ten, too. Those new Pac-12 teams going over there are going to get involved in that kind of process. That's why I think DeBoer, that's why it's a good move for keeping that level of experience just evolving with the times in comparison to going for a flashier hire like Dabo, who Clemson in the last three years striving just because of the weak conference, if anything. When we come back, we are going to get to Money Line Mania. And we have a lot of people joining us worldwide west. We know Johnny and Derek Mountain when we come back here on The Weekend Crunch. 
Oh, yeah. Speedy's jam on a Saturday night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at him go. He, he can't see it, but he's dancing in the studio right now. <laughs> Leave your pants on. Stop it. Busted. <laughs> we are back here with the Weekend Crunch live on 103.9 the LA News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is that time. It is time for Money Line Mania. This is Money Line Mania. With Chaz and the crew. Well, it's not going to be Chaz tonight. It's going to be the crew instead. And of course, we have three guys that are coming in to join with us here tonight. That would be Worldwide West, Reno Johnny. And Derek Mountain, guys, hope you're doing well this weekend. I can tell you the weather here in Kansas City. A low of minus one and a high of nine. I've never seen tickets for playoffs chief under Mahomes sell for cheaper than they are, are selling for for this Saturday night. People don't even want to go to the game. We're going to do something out of the box in the realm of what I do. And I'm going to lay some points here with a team that hasn't looked very good. That's the Chiefs. Numbers already moved up a little bit. I kind of got hit it early. It's supposed to be the coldest game in NFL history. And we kind of know the Dolphins' track record with that. They've played 74 games since 1966, about 40-year below weather. They're 26-48. and 48. They just don't play good in the cold. That's just their history. They play in Miami. We're not blaming them for that. But I look at more than just the cold weather, which I think they're going to struggle. I don't think Tyreek will. He played in that weather. But you look at Tua, played high school football in Hawaii. Not really cold there. Went to Alabama. Doesn't get cold there. So I think that we're looking at more than that. Tua is missing throws. They were at home last week against the Bills. That's a game that whether they were already in the playoffs or not, you probably want to host a playoff game, especially when you're the Dolphins and you understand that it's the playoffs. And no matter where you go, unless you're going to Dallas or San Francisco, it's going to be pretty cold. You want to kind of host that game. And they really didn't play well. They scored 14 points. And I look at Tua missed a lot of throws at a quarterback that's gotten that kind of praise and that kind of high caliber early on MVP status can't miss those throws and they're not playing their best football and I know the Chiefs had a lot of issues in terms of drop passes I'm going to look at two key pieces in this game and one of them is going to be Andy Reid guy's got the experience one of the best coaches the NFL's ever seen got has a couple Super Bowl rings now and I think he's going to have a perfect game plan and the other to me is Isaiah Pacheco I think that guy is going to run angry and mean and I just don't know if the Dolphins are and be able to combat what the Chiefs have considering a lot of the injuries and the injuries they shouldn't have suffered. Chubb was in the game down 30 with three minutes to go. Like, not sure why you got players still in the game. And then I do think the Chiefs get on early. And what I've noticed with Mike McDaniel is his play calling when they're down or tied, needing a play. It's not good. It's almost like they're playing too safe. And so if you get down early against the Chiefs, against one of the best play callers in the NFL, and you're Mike McDaniel, you need to play, and you're down, like, you put your money on that. I just can't. Cold weather, it's going to be zero to it's going to be the coldest game ever in NFL history. Dolphins have played three games under Mike McDaniel in cold weather, under 40 degrees, and they've lost by an average of 17 points. You're not healthy. This is not a bet really on the Chiefs because they're not really showing me greatness either. It's really just a knock on the Dolphins. Until they can prove that they can go out there and beat a top-tier team, they're like the Cowboys. They beat everybody that they should beat, and they play kind of top-tier teams. And what do they do? The KC game, we talked about the cold weather. The total has been bet down a lot. It's already down to 44 points. Between these two teams, I think that's a pretty shocking number. Both coming into this game on the offensive side of the football healthy. Now defense, totally different story. Miami signed three guys on their defensive line off the street this week already. The one guy that's banged up, Jalen Waddle, but Tyreek Hill healthy. Raheem Mostert going to play. Devon Achan is going to play. Kelsey sat out week 18, he's going to play. Pacheco sat out week 18, he's going to play. There's a 
contrarian over for me. I get how cold it is, but both of these run games are trending in the right direction. Even if Tua has taken a step or two back to what he was in early and mid-season form, you still have two positive run games. You have a Kansas City run defense who ranks 28th in rush EPA per play. Miami is just limping to the finish line on defense, especially Bradley Chubb out for the year. Jalen Phillips, they lost in the middle of the year to a torn Achilles. Jalen Ramsey playing banged up. Xavier Howard probably not going to play. Third linebacker play has not been good. I think it's a big Pacheco game. I think it's a good bounce back spot for Travis Kelsey. And I think Miami's ground game is going to see success like they did in the London game. He Mostert, I think, had 90 yards on the ground. They did not have Achan on that first matchup. 44 points isn't going to take that much with these two teams. I know Kansas City's offense has struggled, but that Miami defense really got ran over on Sunday night. That was a deceiving final score, 21 to 14. Some boneheaded turnovers from Josh Allen really changes the outcome of that game. Miami's given up 30 plus points in that game. So I'm going to go over 44 in that game. The three of us are on the same page with the way that we're reading the form for that game. I am agreeing with Derek on points in that game. I'm agreeing with Johnny on laying the points on the Chiefs. Chiefs, they don't score a ton of points. They haven't this year. The weather does not face Patrick Mahomes. This is what playoff weather is at Arrowhead. There is no difference between five degrees and 12 degrees. They've played all of their home games under Patrick Mahomes at Arrowhead Stadium. So it just doesn't change. But the line that shocked me was the first half team total for the Chiefs is at 12 and a half. That's been a challenge for them in some games. But at 13 and a half, it might be a no touch just because the weather, it, it could be tight. The Chiefs, they're probably going to find the defensive turnover in the first half. Their defense is playing lights out. And if they jump up to a lead, they'll get some second chances. They're going to get after Tua. But over 12 and a half, two field goals and a touchdown, that's a field goal to close out the first half, a first quarter drive and a touchdown somewhere. I'm taking the Chiefs over 12 and a half for the first half. The Cowboys and Packers game. I'm a Cowboys fan. I'll say that. But I also think they are damn terrible to back in big spots. They just do not produce. I think they're fortunate in this situation, though, because I do not think the Packers are necessarily a playoff team. I think there's been a lot of mediocre football this year. That's kind of how the Packers got limped in. In a way, that extra spot that they added, not sure if I'm a fan of that because I do think there's a team in the playoffs that not necessarily giving us best football. I think the Packers are one of those teams. I'm going to lay with the Cowboys, but I'm going to do it in the first half. Get four and a half. I just think that the first half, they're going to come out a lot stronger. They kind of tend to put their foot on the pedal. It's going to be home. Wide out going on in Dallas. Maybe Jordan Love not ready for that moment. Cowboys offense, they got playmaker after playmaker, and it's beyond CD land. It kind of opens up the rest of the team. I think Brandon Cooks get going as well. The running game, I'm going to lay with the first half. Part of that is because I do see Dallas's defense if it is a 14-point game. Two minutes to go, their defense kind of playing loose. I'm afraid for the back door in the second half. So I'm going to take the Cowboys, who also do a great job scoring within two minutes of the first half. If anything happens, maybe they're up three, maybe get a late field goal to kind of cover that. So I'm going to take the first half in Dallas. This is another one where if it is within seven and a half points, Dallas is outright losing the game. And I don't believe that Dallas is going to lose this game. What I'm looking at is the first half scoring and usually how Dallas gets their edge. Dallas is averaging a little bit over 17 points a game in the first half. The last three games have been a little slower, but they haven't had as much to prove. Philly just kind of handed the division to them. And then you look at Green Bay and they're just a hair under 10 points in the first half averaging per game. The last three games for Green Bay have been kind of the opposite where they're averaging in the 16-17 range over the course of the last three, four games. When you look at those numbers, they're kind of skewed in the last few games. You got to look at Green Bay's opponents too. But 
Dallas at home, in their wins, they have no problem covering seven and a half points. It is a total mismatch in Dallas's offensive personnel. Their defense is the strength, but what Dallas has done these last couple weeks in Dak to CeeDee Lamb, two tight ends that are capable of catching passes and they're dangerous in the red zone, I don't think Dallas's run game is going to be much of a threat when they get into the next round or a conference championship at Vika. And I believe that they're going there, but their run game is probably what's going to hurt them. But as far as what Dak is doing and their defense keeping it in, if Dallas doesn't cover seven and a half points in this game, they will not win. And I believe that Dallas is going to win this game, which means they're going to cover the seven and a half. I think Dallas is probably going to win this game. Right I'm also on Dallas. All the deterrence and the criticisms of Dallas in this spot this week are very narrative driven, which I'm just not going to really buy into. I'm going to do what my eyes are telling me. What Dallas has done this year is they've handled business at home and they have handled inferior opponents. They have blown out teams that they can out talent and that's Green Bay. They're a great story. They're a really fun team. I think Green Bay did again, finding Jordan Love. He looks fantastic. This is the youngest roster in football. I think this is a really tough task for Green Bay to go in there at AT&T Stadium and, and make this a game. I think Dallas matches up really, really well with them. Green Bay was not battle-tested down the stretch. They won five of their last six, but they played against the Giants. Tommy DeVito gave up a career game to Mayfield. They gave up a career game to Bryce Young. The Panthers, and they played Justin Fields this past week. I mean, not really a murderer's row of quarterbacks there. This Dallas team is a huge step up, especially on the defensive side of the football for Green Bay and bottom seven defense. I think Dallas is going to have no problem scoring this weekend. On the other side, Dallas got back Jonathan Hankins, huge for their run defense. Their splits with and without him are drastic. While Aaron Jones is helping me, I don't like to follow trends for playoff quarterbacks, first-time starters. 38% against the spread in the past decade. Jordan Love falls into that trend. This Dallas defense, their pass rush is really good. If they can get out to a lead, especially a seven and a half point spread, it's kind of implied there that Green Bay's probably going to play from behind. I think Jordan Love is going to make a mistake or two, and Dallas can really blow this game open, which they've done with inferior opponents all year, so I like them to cover the seven and a half. I'm going to lay three points, and I'm going to take Detroit. The playoffs, it gets interesting with the lines, because in certain games, if you believe one team is going to win, then they definitely cover the spread. This game feels like one of them. If you look at the Lions and their margin of victory, there's two games where they were three points or less in their victory margin. The first one was against the Chiefs on opening night, kind of a miracle win. Now we look at how the season has played out and they probably should have beat the Chiefs a little bit more because this is not a Chiefs team from a year ago. But there was a Charger game, a shootout, and they won that by three. But every other where Detroit has won has been by five points or more. They're not even close. This Rams defense, they're not great. I think that out of the two quarterbacks in this matchup of former teams, I think Jared Goff has more to prove. Coaching is probably a coin flip. I don't really like what Detroit did in going for it twice in a row on the two and just kind of losing the game. Campbell just kind of went into spoiled brat mode and didn't get his way on the call and did it again. And it cost his team. I mean, they really could have won that game or at least had a shot if they would have kicked the field goal. So in crunch time, I don't necessarily trust Detroit to make the right coaching decision. But if you believe that Detroit is going to win their record this year and the points says that they will cover that three points easily. What I'm also looking at is the line movement. 73% of the tickets are on the Rams. And that was opening at a three and a half point spread. If 73% of the tickets are on the Rams, there should be a huge movement in spread. It moved to half a point, which means there's enough money, either smart money or the casino is confident enough on the Detroit side of things that they're leaving that line where it is. I really like Detroit in this spot. I think that they're going to win by five bucks.
I'm going to go with Jameer Gibbs over 50 and a half rushing yards. I think this number feels really low. The market is correcting after an inefficient last two weeks for Gibbs and that Lions rushing attack against the Cowboys and Vikings. It's been two tough matchups. One, Dallas, that's a top 10 rush defense by EPA per play. And then last week was just a really weird game where Detroit elected to play their starters. We saw Laporta go down. They had no motivation on their side. I don't read too much into that. But coming back to this week, I think it's a really good matchup for Gibbs to bounce back. Rams are middle of the pack rush defense, but they play more too high shell coverage than anyone. They're going to have light boxes. Jared Goff over his career and over this year has really struggled against too high shell coverage. Now the way I think Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson are going to combat that is to slow the game down and put the game in the hands of David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. This is a short number and he's shorter than David Montgomery who's listed at 55 and a half rushing yards even though Gibbs has out snapped him for the last five weeks. He is much more of a home run threat than David Montgomery. I don't think he'll necessarily out carry him, but we've seen Gibbs get at least 11 carries or more in the last five games. If they are winning this game, if they're in a positive game script, I think he's going to get around 15 carries here. I think he easily clears this. I'm going to take Detroit, but I'm actually going to do the easy way out and lay some juice and take them on the money line. I think one of the most played out narratives is the Lions having this revenge thought for their quarterback from LA. I don't think that's necessarily why they're going to win, but I just look at this Lions team as a more complete team i do think the narrative they should drive is they do believe that they should have been the number two seed they kind of got that taken from them i think they're going to go into this matchup and the golf is going to play out of his mind he's going to have his receivers i think they're just a better all-around team now did la finish the season i think on a really high note absolutely i'm surprised that they actually they limped into the playoffs i'm just looking at the body of work for 18 weeks lane only three on a neutral field this is going to be an even type and i don't think even on a neutral field i think the lions are going to run away with this game pretty easily i understand puka's made some noise he's a good compliment to cup defense has gotten a lot better i'm just looking i think that when you look at this matchup who are you going to trust more the rams on the road that really struggled early on or the rams of late i'm going to take the team that's been good all season long they had two, a rough two game stretch and that baltimore loss that they lost pretty bad other than that the lions are a much better team in multiple facets of the game i'm gonna lay it i, I got minus 155 hmm. i'm seeing 165 i like the lions to win the game on the field all right thank you guys so much for joining us appreciate it this evening thank you for listening to the first half of us here on the weekend crunch here on 103.9 the LA news road network the second half of our show will be after the islanders game we, we will come back with some nba and nhl talk enjoy the game we're gonna send it over to the guys now take it away Okay, Free Little Birds is one of my favorite, favorite songs. And of course, the Bob Marley movie's coming out February 14th. Uh-huh. I'm a huge Bob Marley fan. Love it. See, every little thing, it's going to be all right, Speedy. You got to take that. But we are back here on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Of course, I'm in for Harold Marks. Josh Silverberg here with Speedy Petey. We're going to touch on some NBA conversation. I know it's been a while. OG and an OB coming over from the Toronto Raptors. There's a lot of Toronto talk. Maple Leafs, yeah. Raptors, Errol's in Toronto. But I know the Knicks lost their first game with him, which was shocking because Luka didn't play. And they lost. They were down by 24. Then in the they, fourth quarter. And then <laughs> they almost came back. And Brunson, I think, hurt himself. you got to love what the Knicks are doing right now. They're fourth in the Eastern Conference. They're doing really, really well. And you have to look back at it. And you have to say, because when I initially thought of this trade I said I wasn't upset about Barrett being traded I was more upset about quickly being traded uh-huh. but now I'm looking back at it and I say to 
thinking to myself, hmm, maybe RJ really was just not a good fit for this team. Yeah, you wonder with efficiency purposes with RJ Barrett. That was always his weakness. I know the three-point shooting was a liability at certain points, the free throw, but the overall efficiency for how much he was trying to have him to handle ball, because the talk with the Knicks was always, uh, Julius Randle's hogging the ball from R.J. Barrett, and he was ruining everything. And then R.J. Barrett gets more touches, and he was doing well, but still inefficient, and maybe that kind of thing was hurting. But Quigley, yeah, it was surprising. When I first saw the trade, I was like, what are they doing? Those two players for Ananobi, they're not a big team, but Ananobi wants to take a pay cut and wants to bring somebody else in. Like, maybe there's some optimism, and so far even on the court the Knicks have beaten some good teams and, and that's what I'm saying and they also got the center um, Achua Achua has been very good for them as well it's mm-hmm. given some minutes away from Hornstein and then of course don't forget the Knicks they got the exemption for Mitchell Robinson which leads me to believe that He's going to come back this year. He's going to come back. And if Mitch comes back, I want to know how is anybody going to play against this Nick team with the defense? How are you going to score on this team? And you look at what they did. They beat some good teams. They beat Minnesota at home. They completely trounced on the Philadelphia 76ers the other night in Philly. They beat by over 30. It was yep. insane. And Bede got his, and they stopped everybody else. Exactly. And it fits so well because here's the thing. He doesn't need the ball in his hands, and he gets certain spots. But then you're also seeing other guys step up. You're seeing Miles McBride really start to step up, getting his minutes that he's earned at Quinn Grimes is playing his best ball of the season so far. Finally, he's doing really well. Of course, you have Jalen Brunson is doing his thing. Dante DiVincenzo is having his best offensive output of his career right now. I think mm-hmm. his three-point percentage I think is the highest of his career. He's doing what they signed him to do. I still think they need one more piece for the bench. I think two names I look at. One is Malcolm Brogdon, sixth man of the year last year. That would be a really nice piece. I don't think it'll cost that much because Portland will just want to get rid of him. The other one is Terry Rozier from the Charlotte Hornets. Rozier's having a very good season. Point guard would do a nice job. I think Brogdon would fit a little bit better, but Rozier would be a really nice second point guard off the bench for the Knicks. Deuce has done a nice job. I like Deuce McBride. It's the offensive output. I think Brogdon would fit this team like a glove because he plays good defense, but his offense, he won six man of the year over Emmanuel quickly last year with Boston. So I think that would be a nice piece for them. I think that's something they'll try to aim for. I don't think they're going to get the superstar this year, and I think what you need to start to understand, I think we need to get away from the Donovan Mitchell stuff. I don't think it's happening. I don't think this year, maybe next year. I don't think so at this point at all. I don't think they really want him. I don't. I don't think that they view him as a superstar piece. They want to trade assets to get. I think they'd rather get somebody else. Maybe a Devin Booker, a Luka Doncic, something like that I think would be a more plausible one. I don't think Donovan Mitchell is the guy that they really want. They viewed OG Ananobi higher than Donovan Mitchell. Clearly it showed in this trade. They wouldn't trade Barrett and quickly for Mitchell, but they would trade him for Ananobi. What does that tell you? That yeah. tells me that they view Ananobi as a higher rated player than Donovan Mitchell production that they've gotten from the other wings. When you look at a trade being a net positive, the combined assets of what Grimes has been playing better as, McBride has been playing better as, make it a net win for the Knicks right now overall. Now, will it last long term? One could hope. I'm still more concerned with the front court more, with the size, but you look at the production they've gotten from Brunson setting up these guys and making them better players, it's really helped alleviate the Knicks in this time. That's when you look at the cap space that the Knicks could have now getting rid of Barrett's contract, which wasn't egregious, but still is a rookie-scale kind of max contract, and if Ananobi takes the pay cut like he should, you're looking at definitely room for another max contract, and they also have the leeway to include Julius Randle in a trade if they want to trade Randle as well towards the end of his deal, and I know you and I are both not the biggest fans of Julius Randle and his inefficiency sometimes. No, but he is playing his best ball so far. It's going to have to count in the playoffs, but this is the happiest I've seen him look. He's talking to Brunson on the bench with Josh Hart. When did you ever see Julius talk to Josh Hart, <laughs> Brunson on the bench? You never saw that. 
So my guess is, was R.J. Barrett more of an anchor for this team? You wonder now. Yeah. Not because of his attitude, or because he would take the ball out of their hands and it couldn't flow. So I wonder really if that's the case. And get to the Nets. They lost <laughs> Paris today. They're not doing anything. Jock Vaughn, he's a good coach. They got nothing now. I've heard their name floated for Donovan Mitchell. I don't see that happening, nor do I think Donovan would want. I think Donovan would be devastated if he went to Brooklyn over the Knicks. I don't see that happening with Brooklyn. They're not even going to be a play-in team. I think Mikael Bridges, when he hits free agency, get him on the Knicks. Fit him in there with the Villanova guys. Jay Wright will become the head coach and we'll just have a reunion. No, but I think Bridges is jealous that he's seeing his teammates Hart, Brunson, DiVincenzo, all on the same team together doing really well and he's in Brooklyn and they're not doing anything. I think it's tough. It's tough to swallow for somebody like that. He's really been the one well-rounded player on this team. The Nets are really just a bunch of specialists, really. They have some good shooters. They have Dinwiddie, who's a good pure point guard, but not much of a scorer. Nick Claxton is the only inside guy, really, they have. The Knicks injured have better front court depth than the Nets' healthy front court depth has been this year. It's just really been a one-dimensional type team and I thought they would still be a play-in team and right now are the last playing team in the Eastern Conference, but they're just not a very well-rounded identity, too. They have some scores. Cam Thomas has looked good this year, 20.5 points per game score. Cam Johnson and Lonnie Walker are both good shooters. Walker was very impactful for the Lakers in the playoffs last year, too. But again, I don't think anyone expects the Nets to get there. And are they going to consider trading some of them? They already are young, so I don't know how much they're going to actually trade, but would they consider trading anyone that has good value? We know Ben Simmons doesn't have any good value because he has only played six games this year, but don't have a lot much else in terms of well-rounded players right now. Struggling since that whole scandal came out with, oh, they're going to suspend him for the player participation now, and now it's investigating them for sports betting, so I'm sure that's distracting to a lot of these young players as well. When we come back, we're going to get into some NHL conversation. The Rangers struggling, the Honors thriving, the Devils, what are they doing? We don't know, but we're going to get back to it live here at 103.9 the LA News Radio Network. Oh, we're back here on 103.9 FM, the LI News Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Josh Silverberg. My co-host, of course, Speedy PD, joining you every single Saturday. And I hope you're enjoying yourself. Could be a bad weather day Tuesday. They're saying three to five inches. Now they're saying five to eight. Wonderful. But let's get into it with the locals. One's up, one's down, the other's in the middle. We start with the local New York Islanders. The honors are thriving right now. Third place, six points out of the first spot in the Metropolitan Division. Yet Ilya Sorokin still struggling, but still. Nice comeback against Toronto the other night. Matthew Barzell, Mr. Overrated, people say. (laughs) He is thriving so far, having a great season. Brock Nelson having arguably his best start to his career so far this year. And Bo Horvat fitting in very nicely with this team. I like where the Islanders are. And again, hockey is about ebbs and flows. It's a long season, 82 games. I always go into like this. When the playoffs start, it's whoever the team is the hottest goalie, that's who's going to win. That's always how I viewed it. Aiden Hill won the Stanley Cup last year. I know Vegas has a lot of talent. And but good defense. And good defense, but yeah. Aiden Hill won the Stanley Cup last year. And Sergei Paprosko, everybody thought was completely washed. Worst went, contract in the NHL among goalies. Yeah. Went to the Stanley Cup last year. So, to me, the New York Honors are doing well. They're in third place right now behind the Rangers and the Hurricanes, who they're also got to a slow start Carolina. They're starting to play well right now, which, of course, always makes it scary when Rob Brindamore gets his teams together. The Honors are doing good things right now, Speedy. Yeah, and the offense is <laughs> continuing to carry this team for the most part. Their power play is top 10 in the NHL right now, something we never saw when Barry Trotz was coaching them. Last year, they were 20th in the league, and Brock Nelson has been the 
most consistent probably he's been in his career, too. We always know Brock Nelson is a good 30-goal scorer, solid guy, face-off-wise defensively at certain points, but he was always so streaky, and now he's actually been very steadily good, on pace for 35-something goals, on pace for a little over 30 assists right now, and he's really had to do a good job carrying the rest of these other veteran-type guys on these second and third lines, filling them out. The top line's been very good. Matthew Barzell, now third motion, four-point games this season, including the one against Toronto just recently. Noah Dobson's been a very good offensive defenseman this year. Defensively still has to improve, but definitely better than he was last year. But the big key is their defense right now has been a really a mess and really making it hard for these goalies now. Sorokin's numbers, like you were saying, down drastically from where they were last year. Varlamov was doing well at the beginning, but kind of stumbling now. He's hurt. But the defense, most high danger scoring chances allowed, most unblocked shots on goal. And that has to do a lot to do with this defense that has really struggled with Pelik and Pulak out. Now Pelik is back, but still trying to find his way. And they're allowing a lot of these games, five goals, four goals, three goals in these games. It's just not ideal to sustain, especially in a metropolitan division that's getting a lot better. You're talking about Carolina. They had defensive struggles in the beginning of the year, too. But now they're picking it up, and now they have the best goal differential in the conference. And the Rangers, they're hitting a little bit of a stumble, playing mediocre, really struggling this week, but still have a plus 17 goal differential. Yeah, not great. The Rangers have been really struggling, especially defensively. It's been a mess. The Banachad yeah. missed the game against the Blues the other mm-hmm. night. There's a lot off with them right now. I know hopefully Kako should be back soon. That should help a little bit. It stinks because they need center depth right now because after Trocheck, it's iffy because Nick Bonino is more of a fourth-line guy at this right. point, and they're putting him on third-line minutes, which he doesn't fit there. He doesn't have the speed to do it. But the problem is Filipino's been out, and it's too early to make a trade. So Chris Drew is stuck right now with what he has. The defense, which was thriving earlier in the season, has just completely just tailed off. I don't know what has gone on with this defense. Most of it has been the Brian Schneider-Eric Gustafson pairing, which yeah. was really good to begin the year. And Shesterkin, just like Sorokin, it's been weird. Even the high chance saves that he made last year. He doesn't make those saves, and it's very weird. He had a good few weeks a couple weeks ago, and it was felt like he was back to normal, and he's still stumbling, and it doesn't make any sense. But again, that's hockey. It's an up-and-down ebb and flow season. You just got to get into the playoffs. If you get in, you have a shot. We'll see where they are. They got to get a centerpiece, because I don't know about Heedle this year. I don't know if I could trust Heedle anymore. He's also better on the wing. But it's also, he's got four concussions in so many years. Don't forget, Nolan Patrick just retired at a very young age because of all the concussions. So it's a matter of can you put your trust into him? And the Rangers desperately need a winger. They need a guy to play with Kreider and Zibanejad. They just don't have that. They've tried everything. They've tried veterans. They've tried rookies. They've tried young guys, older guys, Wheeler, Ottman, Collier, Lafreniere, Kako. It hasn't worked. I would say Tarasenko's the guy they got to get back because Tarasenko worked very well with Kreider and Zibanejad last year. I think if Ottawa can eat some of that salary and the Rangers give up like a second round draft pick, I think they can make that work. I think that's something that they have to look into. If you want to look at center depth, I believe Monaghan is somebody that you could look at very much, so that would be really good. They need a winger and they need a center. That's what they really need. And it's the cap space issue. I mean, you could cut Blake Wheeler because Blake Wheeler has just done zip. Yeah, the hot start, then he fell off badly. <laughs> it's just been horrible. He's done nothing. They don't even know where to put him anymore. They keep putting first line, third line, fourth line. They don't even know where to I put him. I can't trust him top six. No, right they don't know where to put him, and that's the problem. And you're bringing up half of Hartford up. Lesergis is playing. Pitlick is out right now with an injury, so it's just so many injuries right now for the Rangers. As far as the Devils go, they don't have a goalie. Vanacek has been one of the worst goalies in the league this year. It's brutal. This is really going to hurt. Timo Meyer isn't having the season. I think many Devils fans thought they were getting 
Atlanta, especially because they traded a lot to get him, and then they signed to a big contract. Jack Hughes is still performing well, but you thought the defense would step up this year. Like, Luke Hughes has not been as good as they thought he would yeah. be. It's been a tough go for the Devils this year. Some of the players, right, Speedy, that have not stepped up for them. No, even the top six that was lethal last year, too. You've had a down year from Nico Heischer, who has just 21 points. Now, he's been hurt at certain points, too, but just 21 points this year. Timo Meyer, who's played pretty much the whole season. He hasn't really dealt with a lot of injury issues. Nine goals, six assists, just 15 points on the year for him. Uh, defensively, minus 16, too, for a guy that normally hits a lot as well. Now, granted, some of that has to do with the defensive first pairings just not being ideal for the Devils, either, and this goal-sending issue, both of them are in the three threes for goalies that are currently up right now, and it's just not ideal. Dougie Hamilton is your best defenseman, and he's older, and he's kind of like we were saying with Noah Dobson, too. Like, he's great offensively to start this year, but defensively still trying to find his way. They brought up Simone Nemec, who was the second overall pick in the draft. He's been okay, but they dealt with too many trades with these offseason, just trying to keep some of these veteran guys there, and it hasn't worked for them as well. Now, do I still think they can make it as the top four in the Metro? Probably, but they definitely need more drastic moves than just last year, where they were the overperforming team that made the big swing for Meyer. Now they might need it more in quantity than in quality, and you're going to have to trust your offense to really get it going, because they have too much talent to be this bad in their top six the way they are. Outside of Hughes and probably Jesper Bratt, everyone else is kind of down for their standards this year, and it's just not ideal for a Devils team that should be right with these other teams. We were talking about them and the Rangers being neck and neck for the top of the division along with Carolina for much of the year, and the Rangers, even though they're struggling right now, are still up nine points in the Devils, and still have a much more complete roster, even with, like you were saying, those depth pieces that are missing, than what the Devils have. Like, the Rangers have a trustworthy defense, even with the guys down. The Devils, do they have that kind of thing? I just don't see it right now. Outside of Dougie Hamilton and maybe John Marino, they don't have much right now to really bank on. They're gonna have to be very active at the trade deadline, otherwise it could be a long offseason for Mr. Lindy Ruff. When we come back, Erwin Speedy had an amazing interview that you're gonna get to hear from Cincinnati Reds relief pitcher Buck Farmer here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back here on 103.9 the LI News Radio Network. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Josh Silver, filling in for Errol Marks this week. My co-host, Speedy Petey. And now you get to hear from Errol and Speedy as they had an awesome interview this past week. Interviewing Cincinnati Reds relief pitcher, Buck Farmer. We are now talking to Reds relief pitcher. First time on our show, Buck Farmer. Buck, what's up, bud? How we doing? You're looking good, man. I like the beard, the mustache, clean cut. You're ready to go, wearing a nice t-shirt. Probably have a girl. You have kids, right? Yeah, got a wife, two kids. They're already asleep, so I'm all set. The kids run us for our money, so it's like, anytime I can get some Z's, I'm after it. Man, I have sleep apnea. I don't sleep, man. Buck, (laughs) I need some help here. I've been to like five doctors. I've had these sleep tests. I wake up 165. Four times every night. Could you imagine that? I'm probably better off sitting on a toilet all night long and wiping my ass. I have a better opportunity to take a dump and enjoy that than falling asleep and enjoying that. So I'm a zombie. So I want to apologize to you. I don't know how I have so much energy and I'm going to slow down right now. I love the energy. I'm going to give you all the energy in the world, man. Just be careful. I don't want to give you too much energy where you think that you can run faster than a train. Faster than a locomotive. Let's get into it. Cincinnati had a really good season. You have a bunch of good young players. What were your thoughts this season? I mean, you had a pretty good season too, man. Your numbers were pretty good. Three saves, 4.20 ERA, 70 Ks. You whip 1.16. That's pretty good.
pretty good. Your team is up and coming. I love the Cincinnati Reds right now, and hopefully we get back to those championship teams in the 70s where they were unstoppable. No Pete Rose, but no problem. I think we're well on our way there. Added a lot of talent this offseason, too, and the young core that the Reds have. They're great. A lot of energy. They know how to play some ball. So one of the older guys on that team, Joey Mata, we know he's quite a personality. He's going to the broadcast booth. He's saying aliens exist. What is your connection with him as a teammate, and do you have any good Joey Votto stories? Joey's awesome. It's an understatement to say that he's a character. He's got a different personality, man. He's just a good dude, though. He's a great teammate. Anytime you want to get help, he was there. There was one time Joey actually had to go on field to receive an award of some sort. I think it was a Roberto Clemente Award, actually. And when he rolled up to the yard that day, he had actually only wore, like, gym shorts and, like, a t-shirt, and he was going on the field to accept this award. He somehow or another conjured up, yeah, somebody grab a Pittsburgh Pirates jersey from somewhere, and then he came up to me and asked me if he could wear my blue jeans. And I was just like, yeah, sure, I don't care. Man, after the game, he was like, hey, I wore your blue jeans, I had him wash them. And I was like, all right, what, what'd you have him wash them? What you doing? I didn't wear any underwear to the yard today either. Don't wear and my underwear. Just, and I was just like, so you just free-balled in my jeans that I wore to the yard? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you know, I apologize. And he shot me a gift card to Nordstrom to go get a new pair of jeans. It was pretty funny. He should have threw you more than that. This guy's worth <laughs> millions and millions of dollars. Look at the contracts <laughs> that this guy got. This guy was one of the best hitters in baseball at one point. One of the better first basemen, defensive first basemen in baseball. This guy's a borderline Hall of Famer. If you look at his numbers, they're Hall of Fame-esque. Says a lot about his personality and his leadership in Cincinnati. For a guy that's lost his whole career, Cincinnati has never won. To stay there and be the leader of this team and a bunch of youngsters, that says a lot about who he is as a player. We are talking to Cincinnati Reds relief pitcher, Buck Farmer. Tell us a little bit about your manager in David Bell. He's a guy that's very interesting, very unique individual. I remember when he played baseball. Decent baseball player, but everybody said what type of mind he is when it comes to being a manager in the dugout. Tell us a little bit about your manager, David Bell. DB, he's an incredible dude, but when it comes to baseball, man, he's different. The way his mind ticks, the way he breaks down every pitch, every movement, the game is unlike any other that I've kind of actually ever been around. And work, it pays off tenfold. It paid off last year, and I think it's going to continue to progress. And I can't say enough about DB, except I love when he gets ejected. He is world class when it comes to getting ejected, so that's a fun, fiery side for us in the dugout. He learned from his friend Charlie Manuel when he was playing with the Phillies. <laughs> David's ejections are kind of world class. He doesn't get fired up much, but when he does, he's going to come after you. So I want to ask about two youngsters that got a lot of hype this year, Hunter Green and also Ellie De La Cruz. What was it like from the local media perspective and also from the fan perspective in Cincinnati? The hype around both of those guys is immense. And the local media with Hunter, especially after he got his contract extension, the local media as well as the fan base reacted very positively, which was awesome. He's fun to watch. When he's on, he's one of the best in baseball, I think. It's just continuing year after year to get better. It's going to be his thing, just like anybody else. When it comes to Ellie, I've been around the game a little bit. Kind of an old soul when it comes to that clubhouse now, especially how young it is. Yeah, um, you're old, all right. You're definitely not uh, old. You're a baby. 32 yeah, years I'm, old. I'm trying to keep that perspective. You're old in your own way compared yeah. to some of those youngsters, but 32, you're not old. You're six yeah. foot four. You're built like an ox. I'm sure your wife could say the same about you. I'm sure half the players on your team could say the same, too, about what you could do on a pitching mound. There's not many spots in the major leagues to play. You're up in the big leagues, and you're there consistently, and with a 4.20 ERA and 70K says a lot about who you are and what you could be as you grow yeah. into that relief pitcher. It says a lot about your pitching. I appreciate that. Ellie, he's going to be different in the sense of, I think once he 
kind of comes into his own and figures it out, gets his feet under him. Last year, just with all the hype around him and everything and him coming up and doing what he did in the first month that he was up, I think the pressure might have got to him just a tick. I've been around him for a little while now and just watching him play and the tools he has, man, he's going to be different in a great way. So definitely keep an eye on him. We are talking to Cincinnati Reds relief pitcher Buck Farmer. There's a lot of disarray going on in your division in the National League Central. Milwaukee, Craig Council gets the highest managing contract in Major League history. What a smack in the face to stay in a division and go to your arch nemesis, the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. Milwaukee's starting to break down. There's starting to trade away pieces. Corbin Burns could be out of there probably in the next couple of weeks before the season even Mm -hmm. starts. Milwaukee's rebuilding now. So you look at Cincinnati, your team, you look at the Cubs. Everybody says, oh, this is the Cubs division. We all know what St. Louis could do, even though they suck this year. And now they're bringing Molina over there. Congratulations to him for getting a coaching job Every 35-year-old pitcher imaginable. Fuck, you might be the youngest guy on the Cardinals. (laughs) They'll call you a big puppy, but your division's so open. Could Cincinnati be the team to be in the National League Central this coming year? Yes. I'm going to say that confidently. If we produce like we did last year, I think this year we're only going to get better. So I'm going to say yes, man. We just got to go out there and perform just like any other year. But after we saw Milwaukee kind of going in a different direction, it seems like the Cubs are always competitive. St. Louis, they have the players. They have the tools. They have everybody there. They signed some guys this offseason too. Mm-hmm. Last year, it just seemed like they couldn't put two and two together. I think this year is our chance to go after and, and be the front runner in that, in that division. So you came up with the Detroit Tigers in 2014. You actually played with a guy that we had on the show a couple months ago, Shane Green. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. The guy that promised me Philadelphia tickets. And then they fell apart. They blew a 3-2 lead after blowing Is that out the Shane five. Green we're talking about? Yeah. What was it like coming up with the we Tigers first time? And what was he like, Shane Green, as a teammate? I'll touch on Shane first. Shane is a beauty. <laughs> he is an absolute beauty. I love playing with that guy. Love sitting in the bullpen with that guy. And uh saw him this year with the Cubs when they came to town for a day. And Shane Green, I can't say enough about him. One, as a person, and two, as a teammate. He's awesome. He's another guy that kind of got some Joey Votto type thoughts. In He's him. a pretty boy. Uh, when I was with the Tigers, if you got Shane and Nick Castellanos in the same room, your head could explode. Shane's a dude. He's awesome. I can't say enough about him. And then when I came up with Detroit, it was really quick. I was drafted the year before. I was drafted in 13, debuted in 14. It was kind of bizarre just because going from being in college ball where I had the same managers and essentially the same staff throughout my entire time there to going to being in Detroit and going through different managers, five different pitching coaches. It was just kind of bizarre at that time only being 22 years old. It was just kind of weird coming up and just kind of seeing all that, but picked up a lot of stuff along the way. I was grateful for my time there and I enjoyed it. Detroit has a special place in my heart my family's heart too just because they're the ones that gave me a shot to make a career so Detroit I have nothing but love for Detroit the only thing that sells me is Ford Motors is the building still open I believe so they're actually trying to bring one of the main Ford buildings back now oh they're trying to redo it maybe you should buy into it I think it'll be a great investment we don't have that much money not like you do maybe I'll throw a couple thousand I can sling a few windows in the new building (laughs) I don't even know if it'll sling a couple of windows (laughs) maybe a few locks on some doors maybe you need a baseball code activated security 
systems. You have to aim your curveball and it'll unlock the Speedy likes to drop deuces, so maybe he can aim that. Anyways, we are talking to Cincinnati Reds relief pitcher Buck Farmer. There's so many interests in the L.A. Dodgers. And one of the main reasons why is they have found a way to reap the benefits of deferring contracts. Yes, thank you, Otani, for ruining baseball. Thank you, Yamamoto, for even ruining baseball. Freddie Freeman, let me wave to you because you're never going to win a championship because all these guys are getting overpaid and you won't even have to pay them because they're going to wind up selling the team before they have to pay them. I found the trick. The mastermind business plan of the Dodgers. What were your thoughts when Yamamoto and Otani signed over there to the great and powerful Dodgers? I hate saying this. I just think it's bad for baseball. You got one team that has all the chips on their side of the table. It's all speaking because the market they're in. That grand scheme of things, baseball's just got to spread the wealth a little bit. It's all the player's decision. At the end of the day, it's like Dodgers are going to cough up $110 million for somebody. Why wouldn't you go there? But at the same time, it's taking all these elite players and these players that are going to bring fans to games and other markets too, no matter what market you look at. Like if Otani goes to anywhere, if he goes to Pittsburgh, if he goes to Tampa. Toronto. That's just going to put fans in the stands. Good for that team, good for that market, good for baseball. People are going to start tuning in to Toronto Blue Jay games. Whereas now, the only games they're going to watch are the LA Dodger games. Good for them. I'm not saying anything bad about the players. That's incredible for them. Biggest contract in baseball history, whatever. Yeah. But on the flip side, I think there's got to be a little bit of control. They try to do the whole luxury tax type thing. I just don't think for the big market team, I really don't think they give a crap about that. Yeah. Like, it doesn't apply to them. Like, the Yankees, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. that luxury tax that they're getting taxed for whatever. One night. The it, Mets had to pay $110 million in luxury tax this year. Yeah. And with everything that the Mets have around the stadium, they get good crowds no matter what they're gonna make that one night they'll make it in, in a weekend series so i just think there's, there's got to be a little bit something else done there just to kind of push players to go in other directions you know what we got to do this is going to help all of major league baseball we strap rob manford to a desk we pull his pants down and we have a nice tennis racket and spank him a couple of times and put a couple of marks on that rear end of his because he's ruining the game of baseball i am completely tired of rob manford i can't stand this man This guy has tried to find a way to help baseball. Speed baseball. Baseball's baseball. It's America's pastime. I do not want to see any more changes. I don't care. I like the shift thing. I like it, even though it didn't help. It makes sense. Yeah. Everything else. Big pizza box stealing bases. If that's you're going, peanuts. that's ridiculous. Right. And a pitching clock, yeah. if a pitcher wants to get on the mound and wipe his ass and pick his nose or smack his knees or spider tack, whatever he's doing, let him do it. It's baseball. I'm helping you, Buck. Give you some <laughs> opportunity. I appreciate it. Snot. Well, you're going to see a few more of them this year because there's a memo. They're speeding the clock up so pitchers speed up. Shocker. Everything's all based off the pitchers. Apparently, the pitchers are the problem for some odd reason, not the guy that steps out and has 19 seconds to adjust his batting gloves. So you're going to see a few more of them this year. And I didn't mind the pitch clock just because I could actually get home for dinner at a decent hour. But when they started coming out with these things, I think you're losing the baseball, the people that love the sport for the sport and not using baseball as just a social event. Rob's trying to appeal to the people that are using baseball as a social event, not actually coming to watch the game. Maybe we should have actual pizza boxes. 
boxes on the field. Yeah. Then they'll be incentivizing. Mm-hmm. Or we could set up Buck, and he could stand right over there, and we can have all these fast, speedy pitchers throw the ball at Rob Manford. <laughs> See if he that can duck and weave that. Buck, I don't want to get you in trouble, man. I'm just <laughs> having fun with it. Rob's not no, going to do I'm anything not. to me. He doesn't own me. He doesn't own you either. But run the league that you're playing in. So I don't want to throw you under the bus. But I'm loving this. This is one of my favorite things to do is make fun of the commissioners of professional sports because they're the boss. They're making millions and millions of dollars and doing whatever the hell they want. I don't like it. We have former players come on the show, and I love it because they can say whatever they want. They can oh, do whatever they want. Open. Boy, open. are they open. I love making fun of these guys because they think they know the sport more than the players, which is ridiculous. Players go out there. They're the ones that are putting fannies in the seats. They're the ones throwing 94-mile-per-hour fastballs and learning how to control it so they don't want to try to kill somebody behind the plate except uh, Roldis Chapman. Who knows what he likes. Except every pitcher in the Mets bullpen not named Brooks Raley. They don't know how to control everything where they get ended up walking the bases loaded when they come into the game. I love baseball, man. It's so fun. It's great because you don't know what to expect, the personalities there, and you get a chance to see it every single day. So who's better than you? Don't worry. I got a name for you. Your new nickname is Buck Wild Farmer. How do you like that? I'm in on it. All right. We got him. Buck Wild. I like that. I was watching a lot of Bucks. I went to my first rodeo this past weekend. It was fantastic at the Madison Square Garden. I was working the credentials over there, interviewing cowboys. I saw these big-ass bulls, 5,000-pound bulls. These guys are riding it. If I could ride a bull and make $150,000, let the bull jump on me. I'll ride him. 150 grand a couple of times a show. Who's better than him? I don't want to lose my arm or lose my shoulder. I saw somebody's shoulder pop right out its socket. I can imagine trying to hang on to those things. Could you ride a bull? I don't know. I'd give it a shot. Have you ever jumped on one of those leather practice bulls? Maybe on a fun night in Nashville, I'm sure. For some reason, the women are the ones that can ride those bulls better than we can. I was in Tennessee, and I'll never forget. I'm like, put them on medium. I can ride this thing. I grab it. I'm trying to hover over it, grab this. And they're telling me I can't use both hands. So I grab it. I get thrown off. I almost hit a wall. And then this small, tiny girl weighs about 110 pounds. She jumps on it, and she's on full throttle. And this girl's riding it till the end of time. What the hell? Is your parents teaching you something behind closed doors? It is unbelievable. But anyways, we really appreciate you, Bob. You're a fantastic, you. a great personality, and I'm looking forward to the season. I'm going to be rooting for you. I appreciate we it. Had, fans I can get. Don't be surprised if you see me wear a nice, beautiful Buck Wild jersey over there in City Field. Buck, you're fantastic. Keep up the good work. We'd love to get you on yeah. during the season when you have a break or yeah. whenever you're hanging out, and hopefully everything is going well with Cincinnati. I root for Cincinnati every year because you guys have so many good young prospects, and I expect you guys to take it to the next level. And when you do, maybe we'll see the big red machine again. That's what I want to see. I hope so. I'll be a part of it. Tell Vado to wear some underwear. Yeah, I will. Buck! Wild Farmer. Buck, we really appreciate you. Say hello to the family and we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Will do. Sounds good. Y'all have a good one. What a great interview that was to hear and you could hear all other great interviews and everything. Not just here on the Weekend Crunch, but of course on the Sports Loudmouth with Speedy Petey every Wednesday and Thursday at 7pm Eastern Standard Time on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. But when we come back, Speedy, what do we have? An X-Men joining the Yankees and Crunch Time! Ah, yes, here on the Weekend Crunch. That's the sound. Ooh, yeah! I spend my money on women or wine! I definitely skipped like 20 different parts of that. I just went all the way down there. That's why we're not a karaoke show. That's right, but we are back here on the Weekend Crunch live on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Josh Silverberg, filling in for Arrow Marks this week. My co-host, Speedy Petey. And before we get to crunch time, of course, big news! So there is news that did happen, surprisingly. A former Met, a guy who we cannot stand, 
is back in the premises of New York. Marcus Stroman signing a two-year, $37 million contract with the New York Yankees. I don't want to hear Errol spin. He likes the move. He likes the move. Speedy, you know Arrow. How long did he hate Marcus Stroman for? As long as I can remember when he came to the Mets. Exactly. So now he's going to spin it, isn't he, about how good this is a move for the Yankees, isn't he? We'll see. Wednesday. Well, I know him, and Eric Bowe did the same thing on, on Game On, did the same thing. Listen, I'm a Mets fan. Speedy's a Mets fan. We're not saying this because it's the Yankee move. I'm going to tell you this about Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman had an all-star season with the Mets his last year there. Did I want him to be a Met? No. Mm. I wanted him out. Marcus Stroman does not know how to take criticism well. He is very against you if you don't believe in anything he says. He basically thinks he's better than you. He lets people live rent-free in his head. Yankee fans, at one time he called them ignorant. He said, Brian Cashman doesn't know what he's doing. They need me. I'm the missing piece. He said all of this stuff. And by the way, he thinks you're a racist if you don't believe in his pitching. And he'll just block you on Twitter or X. But this is what Marcus Stroman does. He's a petty man that thinks that everything he says don't stink. And he's right. He's also the same guy that when he was in Toronto, Errol brings this story up all the time. So I'm going to say it now because he's on the Yankees. He kicked out a bunch of rookies on the Blue Jays so he could go work out in the weight room by himself. What does that tell you about Marcus Stroman as a person? And I don't want to hear, oh, well, he had a good season last year in one of the worst divisions in baseball. He had a 10-9 record with a 3.95 ERA and a 1.26 whip. That is not that good. 119 strikeouts and 136 Point two innings pitched. I don't know what he thinks he's going to get from Yankee Stadium with the ground balls. I've seen Stroman. He throws, what, 92, 93? I was at his debut for the Mets in Pittsburgh. He got shelled in that game. And I was going to myself. He didn't even want to be traded to the Mets. He wanted to go to the Yankees. So, in the end, I say to myself, I can't believe we have to deal with this nonsense again. I think I'm actually blocked by Stroman on X. <laughs> I'm blocked by a lot of people, but that's besides the point. This is a move that if you're the Yankees, you bring him in. Alex Verdugo, who got into a fight with Yankee fans just a year ago. He had a beer bottle thrown at him. Carlos Rodon blowing kisses at Yankee fans. Boy, we're bringing in good guys for this clubhouse. I'm trying to figure out where the move is for this because I know they wanted Snell, but Snell probably asked for money over the moon. Yeah, the Yankees already said they weren't going to take what Snell was asking for. And Montgomery refuses to come back to the Yankees. Yeah, it looks like Montgomery wants to go back to Texas, which they just won the World Series. I don't blame you. And Blake Snell's a West Coast guy. I could see a team like the Giants swooping in on that. The Angels will do it. The Dodgers will just defer everybody at this point. Blake Snell would realize that they were not going to go anywhere there. Well, let me ask you this question, though. Why does teams always never give Strowman more than two years of a contract? Because the type of player he is is a player that statistically does not seem sustainable because he's very streaky. And you talked about it on your show on Friday. He has big first halves and not much in the second half. He was basically reverse Zach Wheeler with the Mets. And then Zach Wheeler got the big contract with the Phillies and now has become one of the best pitchers in baseball. We haven't seen that yet from Stroman, no matter where he's gone to. Now, the money is not terrible, I don't think. But are you going to trust another ground ball finesse type pitcher in Yankee Stadium when you just had to deal with Sonny Gray, who was the same type of thing coming from Oakland? He wasn't a guy that threw very hard. Never a 200 strikeout guy. Also very injury prone. He's so yeah. Many, so. so you're going to trust that same kind of thing. Now, if he's not the only move and he's like a fourth starter, well, okay, maybe they you can live with though? that. If Snell doesn't want to go there, I don't know what else you're going to look at right now unless there's a trade that we're not talking about. Unless they trade for Corbin Burns, that would be the ideal. Or maybe they trade for one of those other I mean, second tiers. Do you know they're going to have to trade for Corbin Burns? I know. The Brewers, especially with a new executive, are going to ask for a good amount. So I think if the Yankees were to get him, it'd probably Do be later Yankees in the process. I think it's still a, a realistic possibility based on the type of team they have. But still, there's going to be competition for that too. Plus, so. if you get Burns, then you got to be able to figure out how to resign him and Soto. And you're not 
bringing both of them. Oh, you could just defer money like the Dodgers love to do. Oh, I don't we'll see if Brian Cashman learns. Well, I look at Strowman. He's all bark, no bite. That's how I view him. He is a man that beats to his own drum. He does not care what you think, and if you're against him, he will block you. I do not like him. He's an ignorant person. If he gets booed at Yankee Stadium at any point, he will not handle it well. So to me, I think if you're a Yankee fan, you have to be very wary of this deal. But you're having these guys, like Strowman, Rodon, Verdugo, just fascinating character guys you're bringing in. And then you brought in Donaldson two years ago. It's <laughs> weird. He might have a good season. I don't know. I don't think he fits the ballpark well, but, I mean, it is what it is. All right, Speedy, it is time for... Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, let's start with some running backs. James Cook and Najee Harris in the snow will both have 100 yards rushing and a touchdown. That is definitely not going to happen. As I'm dancing to this, because I feel like I'm listening to Chippendales from Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> Remember that with Chris Farley? Yep. I love that. And Patrick Swayze? I don't think that's happening. I think Buffalo's defense will handle Harris very well. I think Cook could do it. I just wonder how they're going to get the snow out of the way for everybody. Oh, no, they got Bills fans shoveling snow. Don't worry. Oh, I'm sure they do, but I don't think that'll happen. Yeah. I'm going to sell. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too. I also think Najee Harris is not the one that, if the Steelers are behind in games, is going to be in the game more often. I think that'll be more Jalen Warren. So I don't even know if he's going to have any amount of touches to even get to 100 scrimmage yards, nevertheless 100 rushing yards. I know he's a powerful runner you want in the game, but you're going to have to trust a passing attack to actually score first and to defense to be able to stop Josh Allen, too, which has been amazing since they've switched off as a coordinator. So I am going to sell that one. All right, let's go to Marcus Stroman. We were just talking about him. He will be at least second in the Yankees rotation, both ERA and whip this season for the starters. No. I'm going to sell that. I think Cortez will have a bounce back year. Rodon, the jury's still out. I have no idea what Strowman. He had a year in year four in one of the worst divisions in baseball. I really think I trust him in the AL East against Baltimore and Tampa and Toronto. And God, I'm thinking of these matchups now. These are like nightmare matchups. I'm going to sell that one. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one too. I just don't trust the strikeout rate to be very high in Yankee Stadium either. So I think as a result, that'll inflate his ERA. Now, whip-wise, maybe he'll still be second, but I don't think in both categories he'll be doing it. And it's not just Yankee Stadium too. It's the rest of that AL East ballpark too. Like, besides Tampa, I know the Orioles move their left field walls out a little more, but either way, I just don't think it'll be ideal for them in that division. I am going to sell that. Let's go to the Cowboys-Packers game. Jordan Love will have more passing yards than Dak Prescott. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm buying that. I'm all in on this Packer thing, man. You think I'm kidding around? I'm serious. I think Jordan Love's going to out-duel Dak in this game. This is for everybody that hasn't been able to see Jordan Love in person this year. Now you're going to see it, and he's going to thrive on the biggest stage in Dallas on national television in the playoffs, Jordan Love's going to outdo Dak. I'm going to buy that one. Even though I'm taking the Cowboys to win the game, I actually am going to buy it too. I oh, think yes. The Packers are very weird. Sometimes they start slow and then they rally back and make the game close in the second half. I feel like it's going to be that kind of game. I think they're a young team. They're going to have some jitters in the beginning. Dallas gets off to the fast start a lot and Jordan Love will have to throw the ball more in higher volume. So I think yards-wise, he'll end up having it. Touchdowns, I think they'll be kind of similar and I think he'll have just some turnovers that'll end up costing him in the game. But in terms of passing yards, you have to throw the ball to beat this Dallas team. I am going to buy that one. All right, buy or sell. Zach Levine will be traded somewhere other than the Lakers. I'm going to sell. I think the Lakers are going to do everything they can. I'm sure D'Angelo Russell will be involved in that deal somehow. I don't know if Levine's really going to help the Lakers that much, but I'll sell it. I'm going to buy it, though. Even though you're right, I don't know if it'll necessarily help the Lakers. It's not going to that much. I think there's this desperation now with Darvin Ham. He's going to keep his job. LeBron, GM LeBron, you know, he loves to swing for those big moves. I think they're going to try something. I know there's rumors for DeJounte Murray as well, but they have so many point guards on their team. Why would they consider doing that kind of thing? I feel like they're going to try for something that lasted Jeff Levine wants to do it. I agree with you. I don't think it'll help him that much because Levine has had injuries with his foot this season, so so I'm going to buy that it happens. I agree with you, though. I don't think it's going to help them that much. All right, buy or sell. All three of Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup, and Amon Ross St. Brown have 100-plus receiving yards. 
I'm going to sell that. I think they'll be somewhat of a level off on that one. It will be very close. I am curious how Nakua does in his first playoff game, but I'm going to sell it. You're asking a lot for three receivers. I'm over 100 yards receiving. That's a lot. You're talking over 300 yards receiving alone from three. That's crazy. No. I am going to buy that one, actually. You're I, out of your mind. I think this is a really bad line secondary with those outside corners. I think Aaron Glenn has done a fine job as a defensive coordinator. I think there's only so much you could do to limit that passing attack. Because I think the Lions run defense has actually been pretty good, where I think they'll be able to stop Kyron Williams to an extent. I definitely think St. Brown will. I'm more worried about if the Lions can get other secondary targets involved than winning this game. I think that'll be the difference, but I do think St. Brown definitely will get his, and all those guys are very productive guys, all consistent guys, so I think it's going to happen. I am going to buy it. All right, Jim Harbaugh will sign somewhere other than the Chargers. So, I think that's where he's going, because I think he's going to get full control of the team. So, I think when you get full control of the team, I mean, why wouldn't you want to? He's going to have the quarterback in place. He has a pretty good team there already. It's just an older team, but I like it, so I'm going to say I think he goes to the Chargers. Yeah, I'm going to sell it. So I feel like the connections they already have for him, he played the last two years of his career there, so he already knows the Spanos family. At one point, do you have to try this kind of swing with a franchise quarterback like Justin Herbert with other talented, skilled players on your team? You have to try to get a coach that's a little more stable. Plus, this is a team that's over the cap. They're going to have to try to get younger. Why not get a coach that's worked well with these young players like Jim Harbaugh if you're going to have to draft and try to get young to help out this team? So I think it just makes too much sense. I am going to sell it. All right, last one. We'll do one from the Monday night game. All of Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Devontae Smith have at least 65 plus receiving Oh, yards. 65 plus? Yeah, I'll buy that. I think they will. That I think can get done. Yeah, I'm going to buy that. Yeah, that one I'll buy. I think Devontae Smith's yards after the catch for a defense that likes to play a lot of man and blitz. He could at least get that. Godwin, I think, definitely has over 100. I think he'll have the most of the three. I love that matchup for him. Mike Evans will definitely get over 65, and I can see him getting a touchdown, too. Even though I think it's going to be a game of a lot of field goals, I do think it'll be a game of a lot of post and passing attacks with both these running games not great and both these run defenses being tough. So to round it out, I will buy it as well. All right. And that's it. Thank you, Speedy, for letting me hop on. Oh, yeah. Appreciate it as always. Thank you, of course to Arrow. Hope he's enjoying his trip over in Toronto, and he's having a good time. He will be back next week. And don't forget, you can check out all of our wonderful shows at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And then we want to thank, of course, 103.9 FM, the online news radio network. But thank you so much to the fans out there for listening. Hopefully everybody enjoys the games this weekend. Everybody stays dry because this weather is garbage, so you'll be able to stay inside and have an excuse. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. And thank you so much for tuning in. For Speedy Petey, I'm Josh Silver. Thank you for tuning in to the Weekend Crunch here on the LI News Radio Network, 103.9 FM.